Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Tree Doctors, where we talk about Minnesota tree problems and Devlin the Tree Doctors all-natural solutions. Welcome to another episode of The Tree Doctors. I'm Caleb. It's early June 2022 and... Since this is a Minnesota-based podcast, anyone who's listening knows exactly what's been going on this spring. It's been unseasonably cool and wet. We've had horrible storms, uh, tornadoes. It's just been the craziest spring we've we've seen in years. And, you know, we've lost trees. Uh, we've had some customers lose Um, tens of trees in their yard, beautiful trees that we've been treating for years. Uh, Some of these trees are 100 plus years old. It's just devastating. So to all those people, I hope things are going okay for you and that you're safe. Anybody that's gone through storm damage, I hope everything comes together for you soon. Um, In regards to your trees uh, themselves, some of the things that we're going to look for this summer uh, are more fungus problems. Uh, the higher the moisture in the air and in the soil, the more fungus activity. And some fungus is great. It's beneficial. We need it. Um, we've talked about the mycorrhizal fungi in the soil around the trees, and that is essential for them surviving. So that's always top on our list as far as promoting fungus but there are harmful funguses and these are trouble for trees that are in a weakened condition Um, a weakened condition can come from anything Um, I mean we just got done with three years of severe drought and what that drought did to the trees is as the water table dropped each year that means less and less of the trees normally wet roots are able to come in contact with moisture and without moisture in their in their soil uh, there's no microbe activity and without microbe activity there's no nutrients being brought to those particular roots and so the tree will compartmentalize those roots since they're not doing anything they just shut down and when the trees shut down their root system that makes the tree do another type of compartmentalizing. It, it starts to redirect. It starts to take energy away from uh, branches, twigs, buds, maybe buds that had come out in the spring. And the, the tree decided, I don't have the energy to fight off this fungus because I already have dealt with drought last year and the year before and the year before that and then since the tree is weakened from that the fungus sets in especially in the root systems because you know we can't see that and that's where fungus like you know fungus can be in the air and fungus can travel through the ground and the tree pulls that fungus in through its roots into its sap system you know, in this time of year, the trees are really, really pushing 
sap hard. Um, they're, they're trying to make as much growth as they can for the summer. That's their job. They have to wake up and draw that sap to the top of the tree, out to the ends where the spring buds are so that they can start the whole process to get ready for fall and, you know, set up for another set of spring buds. So as they're moving this sap, the sap has the, the, the fungus in it and it settles in the needle bed. Uh, and then it destroys the needle. Uh, you'll see on Norway's and white pines and spruce, uh, you know, needle blight or needle cast, different types of, um, there's phloem necrosis that can happen. Um, so many different blights. Um, what we'll see later this year is probably anthracnose on a lot of the um, deciduous trees. Uh, canker, um, you know, dark moldy films on trees. And all of these things are a stressor for the tree. Now, in a perfect situation, a healthy tree that is robust and has a great, great immune system, that fungus is going to work its way through the tree. Uh, it may get into some of the needles. It may get onto some of the tissue. But the tree itself is strong, and it makes it through that process and comes out the other side healthy. No different than a human being. You know, if we have a good immune system, we might get sick. And then we kick that sickness quickly, and we get back to feeling good and back to our day. So a tree that is healthy can withstand uh, the onslaught of fungus. A tree that is not healthy, that fungus can tear through that tree and kill big portions of it. Um, and sometimes the entire tree uh, goes down because of it. And sometimes in one season. So uh, we've got we've got to uh, build that tree's immune system up, system up. So they can withstand the things that are we don't have any control over that are happening uh, in Minnesota this spring, summer. So what's the solution? Well, a lot of companies out there that do uh, treat trees for disease and fungus and insects, since they do not have a way to change the nutrition and the health of the tree, they simply address the symptoms. And so the, the way to do that is with chemicals. Uh, anything with side at the, end, at the end is typically a poison. So fungicides, pesticides, insecticides, herbicides. Uh, these things all have um, a chemical quality to them that does nothing for the health of the tree, but it will address something topical. You know, so if you spray it on a bug, it dies. If you spray it on the fungus, it dries up that surface that the fungus is on, including the fungus itself. Um, the problem with that is, is we haven't fixed the reason the tree is suffering so bad. And that is in the ground, in the soil, the tree itself is not making food. It hasn't been making food uh, properly. So it does not have a robust, quote unquote, immune system. Um, it is not a healthy, happy tree. So you put these poisons on it. Do those poisons help the tree feel any better? Do they do anything to help the overall health of the tree? 
The answer is no. So we've only put a, a very mediocre band-aid on this problem if we are spraying chemicals and poisons. So the, the correct solution is correct, uh, um, make sure that the tree has what it needs. So moving forward, the portions of the tree that are still moving sap, that are still uh, viable, we can clean up those pathways in that sap system by making the roots work better, uh, lowering the stress level of the tree, upping the nutrients in the soil, all of the things that the tree wants to do and desperately is trying hard to do, it's gonna be able to do it with much less effort and stress. It's gonna be able to work hard without damaging itself and expending too much energy and then having to you know, take a couple steps back. It can just, it can soldier on through the entire summer. How do you do that without using chemicals? Well, Deblin the tree doctor, uh, we have our own special program uh, that is tailored to all trees. It replaces anything that's missing in the soil. Uh, we put our nutrition mix in the ground through our through the root system with our our equipment. Um, we flood this flood the root system with trace minerals, uh, different uh, amino acids, proteins, um, our our nitrogen and, and potassium and phosphorus are all from natural sources without having any animal byproducts in them, no blood or feather or bone meal, which, um, they actually have a lot of drawbacks when you feed them to a tree. So everything we put in is clean, clean, clean. Uh, the tree is ready and waiting for it. As soon as we put it in the soil, it immediately goes to work on strengthening the tree itself. And in that process, the fungus does not have as much of an effect on the tree anymore because the tree is now building and fighting back at this onslaught of fungus coming from the outside or through the sap, you know, in, in the soil around the, the root system. The other thing that we're doing is we're introducing mycorrhizal fungi in our nutrition mix that they immediately go to work delivering the nutrition, the nutrients, the minerals to those roots that are in their weakened state and it reinvigorates the tree and the tree wakes up because it has this extra help from the mycorrhizal fungi. And that's their job. Those mycorrhizae, their job is to go to work for that tree. Whatever the tree wants, they bring it. They're like a waitress bringing an order to a customer in a, in a restaurant. So is it immediate? Do we, do we uh, feed the tree the nutrition that it wants and all of a sudden the fungus is gone? No, because we're not spraying a fungicide. We are simply telling the tree that now I can expend my energy correctly and go uh, improve my own health in spite of this fungus that happens to be in my root, root ball or um, settled on my, my bark, my leaves, my needles. And then by the time the, the fungus has kind of phased itself out, which they do every year, they have their, their own cycle as well. The tree behind the scenes has been becoming healthier. And then the new growth that comes out, and sometimes a tree 
will go through, you know, a couple different growth cycles in the summertime, especially if it has extra energy, and kick out dormant buds and wake up new areas of the tree with brand new needles, brand new leaf buds. Uh, and by the end of the summer, we see extra growth that hasn't been there in the past because we introduced nutrition to the tree. And then the fungus, uh, whatever hasn't killed those portions of the tree, the fungus has run its course. And now the tree can, uh, if it doesn't have the energy this year, uh, next spring when it wakes up, it'll reactivate those buds that weren't permanently damaged and you've got beautiful new growth again. And again, we're gonna get more fungus each year. That is not something that will ever change. If you have a wet year, you have more fungus. If you have a dry year, you have more insects. We can't, we can't prevent those from being in nature. What we want to prevent is those factors killing our trees. Uh, and the only way that happens is by making strong, robust trees so that these natural um, stressors that are always going to be out there do not stress our trees out so much that they die. The, the problem with the alternative um, spraying chemicals is that you knock the tree back every time you introduce a chemical. Um, you spray an insecticide. That is a burning uh, chemical that if you need to wear gloves to be safe from that so that your skin is not irritated or it doesn't go into your bloodstream and make you sick, it is not good for a tree either. Trees have soft skin um, on the newer parts of the tree. You know, the leaf beds from this year's growth that is soft skin. It's very fragile and, and um, paper-like. So if, if you spray it with uh, some nasty poisonous chemical that is designed to kill a bug or kill a fungus and it gets ingested into that tree, you're forcing the tree to do it. It doesn't have a choice. Because the tree aspirates and breathes through its skin, you're forcing a chemical in there. Well, now the tree has to try to assimilate and process that in its sap system through the translocation process. So roots to the end of the branch, back to the roots, end of the branch, back to the roots. It is a, it is a constant cycle during the growth season, um, spring to fall. So when you put these chemicals on there, you're forcing the tree to shove that in through its system. It tries its best to, to deal with it. But in that process, you're burning tissue. You're hurting the tree and you're destroying parts of the tree and now it has to repair itself so you're stressing the tree out unnecessarily i'd rather see somebody leave the tree alone to its own devices uh, and wait out the fungus and insect problems than spray these uh, chemicals because you're just you're killing parts of the tree on a microscopic level if that's the only alternative don't do it because it's just a band-aid. Um, so the, the way to do it properly is to work with the tree, only put things in it that make it healthier and make it stronger uh, so that it is not uh, going backwards with treatment. Another reason this works so well is because the microbiome under a tree, just like the microbiome in our gut as humans, it is vital 
to the tree's survival. So if we have a imbalanced um, microbiome in our in our you know stomach in our digestive system um, or any other part of our body that has a microbiome if that's out of whack our health suffers and the same is for a tree its stomach is the root system that's where it does all of its digestion work so that the tree can eat so if we are putting tree spikes in, or we're buying the 10, 10, 10 uh, fertilizer, thinking that um, that's what the tree wants, you're absolutely mistaken. Those chemicals that you're sticking in the soil, in the root system, you're just throwing the microbiome further off. You're changing the pH levels. You're making it harder for the tree to maintain its own nutrition. Um, and it just keeps going backwards. So. Um, don't, don't put chemicals in or on your tree ever. Um, now another thing that, especially this time of year, everybody's excited about is their, their, their lawns. And the other thing that people are so excited about in not a good way are weeds. It's crazy how many people are insulted by a dandelion and you know, that's their choice. It's their yard. It's their grass. They want it to look a certain way, so that's fine. Um, but but what you can't do is, is spray a dandelion dead and expect that the soil underneath of that dandelion is unaffected. Um, those chemicals, herbicides, Roundup, glyphosate, 2,4-D, these are all disruptors of that weed or that plant's process. And it disrupts that plant's uh, normal activity to the point where the plant dies or at least shrivels back down to its root level. Well, what are the biggest plants in our yard? The biggest living plants in our yard are our trees. They are the most aggressive feeders because they have the most demand. They are the largest uh, tree or the largest plant, so they have the highest requirements, water, nutrients, all of those things. So they can't get out of the way when you dump uh, a poisonous herbicide um, over their root system. They can't get out of the way, so they take it in. That herbicide does exactly what it's designed to do to, to weeds to your tree through the roots. So this takes the damage that I talked about with insecticides and herbicides to a whole nother level. This is actually killing your tree on purpose. That is what that chemical was designed for. If you research the history of herbicides, um, they used to take out entire jungles with herbicide to expose um, structures and uh, hiding spots in Vietnam. And that is the, the big brother to all of our modern herbicides. So it's not a good thing for trees. Um, and then a, a, a secondary note, lawn fertilizers, for the most part, have urea in them. 
urea is a harmful chemical to everything, uh, especially the chemically derived ureas that are in most traditional um, lawn chemicals and lawn fertilizers. Uh, and it's designed only for grass. None of the other plants around it, they, they, don't, they don't do well on it. It's bad for them. Um, it's a quick shot of nitrogen. Nitrogen itself is vital. We need that for our trees. But we don't need the type of nitrogen that shocks the tree uh, and pushes it back. It has to actually go through what, what would be likened to an immunoresponse in our human body. You know, we take something in, it doesn't kill us necessarily, but our immune system has to respond to it, and we're unhealthier afterwards. Uh, it's like taking too much sugar or drinking an energy drink. Um, man, we feel great. We have a lot of energy, but our immune system has to respond and rebuild after we've drank that energy drink. So it wasn't good for us, even though we felt a response off of it. Urea is the same thing for trees. Um, they get a little nitrogen kick and you might see a green up even. That doesn't mean it's good for the tree. The tree, after it does goes through that green up, has to reassimilate and it has to try to fix uh, and rebalance things. Um, so keep that in mind when you're putting down grass, fertilizer, um, herbicides, you're having a commercial company come in and work on your property to keep the grass green. Um, stay away from the trees. Don't go above the trees. If it's on a hillside, that'll run right into the root system. So take care of your trees um, so that they can stay strong. What are some other pathogen, fungus, infection problems that Minnesota trees deal with? Well, what we see a lot of are... Um, white pine trees with blister rust and what pe most people don't understand is that blister rust is actually an allergic reaction to uh, berries that are not native to Minnesota that grow beautifully in our forests uh, and these berries are a great nutrition source for birds and squirrels and when the birds and the squirrels eat them, um, typically the squirrels are going to eat them and then run up the side of a tree on the trunk of the white pine tree. And they've got this berry juice on their feet. And that berry juice gets into the cracks of the um, bark of the tree. And since trees breathe through their bark or skin, that juice works its way into the crevices in the bark. And what happens is, is that since the tree can't process that juice, there's something in that juice that, that hurts the white pine. The only way that it can fend it off is by expressing sap to get it out of, uh, you know, to get it, to get it out of the tree. And as it's doing that, it's bleeding this sap. And it usually starts in a small spot. You'll see a small bleed. And the reason they call it uh, rust is it, you know, it looks like a, 
uh, like some sort of a, um, you know, uh, even though it's white, some sort of a, of, a, of a calcification, rust, corrosion on the side of the tree. Now, the problem with it being on the trunk is that the tree can't get away from it. It can't compartmentalize in a normal way. So it is trying to at least get it out by bleeding the sap. And as it wakes up and goes to sleep each year, every new spring when it wakes up, the pressure is high in the, the sap system. And so that fissure starts to leak again. But now that wound has gone from, you know, let's just say it's an inch one year. Now it's two inches the following year. And it creeps its way around the trunk. And in a sense, it girdles the trunk by compromising the sap that goes from below that wound above it. And you will find that eventually the top dies. And blister rust um, is evident in the needles because the needles just wilt on the vine after they're brand, you know, after they come out uh, in the spring and they're beautiful green and all of a sudden they just wilt. They stay orange, but they don't drop off the tree like a normal needle drop or needle shed that white pines you know, do yearly. So it actually dies, hangs on to the needles because the entire branch, the needle bed, everything, they die. So <clears throat> that's a big problem when you get it on the trunk. It is definitely a white pine uh, killer if it's low enough on the tree because everything above it dies uh, or it'll ruin the top. You know, whatever's above that infection eventually dies. Now, if a bird lands on a branch, no matter where that branch is, whether it's close to the trunk or all the way out in the end, the bird flies in with the berries either in its beak or on its feet, lands on the tree, and then you know how a bird eats. They peck at it um, while it's in their feet. Well, this is smashing the berries, and then the juice gets on the skin of the of the, the bark or this, or, or, you know, um, you know, that branch. And I'll, when you go out onto a branch, the skin is very soft. The bark is very soft on that twig. So it gets in even faster and very quickly that branch dies. But what's nice about it being on a branch is that the tree is actually deciding because it senses that there is that, that foreign, uh, material that it cannot process, it just shuts the branch off. Uh, so it, it compartmentalizes that branch, stops sap flow to it. Uh, the information uh, is sent from the roots up to that branch um, and, and, and that root stops feeding that branch twig or even just one candle or cluster of needles will turn that that telltale orange um, that only happens with blister rust. So first of all, if it happens on a branch, cut that branch off, do a nice clean cut at the next uh, junction, or I call it a knuckle, before the uh, infected part of the branch. 
and another another way you can tell if it's blister rust is that that section of the branch starts to develop wrinkles in the skin on the smooth parts of the branch. It's very wrinkled and and not you know nice and smooth and 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 elastic anymore. That is branch death when a white pine starts to show wrinkles on its newer, uh, smaller branches where it's supposed to be a beautiful green, um, smooth skin in between twigs. So trim that branch off. Um, that branch is never coming back. Just just prune that off of there, okay? So it's way better when they land on a branch. You can maintain that uh, part of the blister rust uh, infection. So what is Deblin's response or treatment for blister rust? Well, if it's on the trunk, that tree needs to be treated by Deblin for the rest of its life in most cases. And the reason that's important is because the area where the infection is, the tree is not transloading, translocating sap below and above it very efficiently. It's trying to keep sap away from that spot, it's sending just enough to it to express it and get it out of there. So it's very important that the tree stays healthy. If we keep the tree healthy so that the rest of the sap tissue moves healthy, clean uh, sap, that blister rust will be held at bay in that spot and it will not completely girdle the tree. And as long as it doesn't completely girdle the tree, most of the tree is gonna survive above that as long as we can get sap to translocate from the roots to the tip and back down to the roots systematically as it's supposed to like clockwork every day, um, you know, throughout the, the summer and growing season. If we don't get to it in time, let's just say it's up in the top and it's really advanced. We still wanna start treating that tree if there's enough tree below it. Um, we wanna strengthen the bottom of the tree. We want that sap system to be robust, clean. And then as, as you know, we get to the end of the cycle of the top, if we can't save the top, we'll have to have you, you know, bring in uh, uh, an, a, a tree service that does removal. Uh, and we have our recommended ones that we work with locally in our area. But um, if you take the infected top off and cut it below where the white pine blister rust infection is, White pines are wonderful at growing brand new tops. Um, they'll, they'll send new forks out right from, you know, whatever is the, the, the top branch after you cut the top off, that becomes the new top. And white pines are good at this because they're kind of a brittle tree anyways. So the bigger they get, the more likely they are to lose their top. Many of these old boys that you see, you know, that are 150, 200 years old, they've had numerous tops fall off or break off and then they grow new ones. So um, we can usually get white pine blister rust under control and save your white pines. Um, blister rust deforms the trunk. I always say it looks like Paul Bunyan reached down and strangled the tree because the tree is working so hard to keep sap, you know, keep shoving sap out. It actually deforms the tissue underneath of that infection as the tree grows. So again, that doesn't necessarily kill the tree. It's just going to have a really interesting look. There have been situations where we have 
dried up white pine blister rust through yearly treatment where it just finally just kind of calcifies and, and clean and cleans up because we do treat from the outside as well um, by by putting nutrients on the outside of the tree and they absorb it through the bark but in most cases there's always some form of that blister rust that comes out every year uh, but again we can keep that tree alive uh, verticillium wilt here is one that's very controversial we have numerous clients that have maple trees that are uh, infected with verticillium wilt before we come in. That's why we called because the tree is dying back. Verticillium wilt is a pathogen that lives in the soil. And it literally, it just travels all over the place. It affects many different types of, of uh, <clears throat> deciduous trees, uh, lilacs, uh, you know, ornamental plantings. Verticillium will it gets in and it just like just just deteriorates the root system, um, and it doesn't wake up until after the tree wakes up each spring, uh, from what we've noticed, anyways. So the tree wakes up early. Obviously, it's a maple, so they're one of the earliest risers of the year. So they come out, they push out their their spring buds, they start to leaf out a little bit, and then all of a sudden one branch two branches or a whole side of a tree just it's like someone hit the pause button and the rest of the tree is still leafing out <clears throat> by the end of the year if you don't get ahead of the verticillium wilt with our program we have noticed that the trees just die i mean these are huge maples that it infects the entire root system and then by the end of the year, <clears throat> if the whole tree isn't dead, there's not much left. And then the next spring, that little bit that wakes up just gets taken over by uh, by the what, what's what's still in the soil for verticillium wilt. There is no known cure for verticillium wilt, and I agree with that. And the reason I agree with that is because you can't go out and excavate the soil and and get underneath of there and and you know, pinpoint and sharpshoot the verticillium wilt pathogen because it's moving around in the soil. But what Deblin has found through treating maples with verticillium wilt is if we get to it early enough, okay? So there's a small amount of it taking place. It's tested positive for verticillium wilt and you can do a soil sample and bring it down to uh, uh, or send it to the University of Minnesota. I believe you can send a leaf sample in because they can test it in the in the leaf. If we get to it early enough where enough of the tree is still alive, we then start pumping the soil with trace minerals, um, different um, acids, naturally occurring acids, um, and then at the same time, and, and what this does is it balances the pH. And there are certain pH levels that are not friendly to pathogens, okay? So if a pathogen thrives in one pH, but dwindles in another, one of the things that Deblin does is we balance the pH. We take that soil and we make it friendly to everything that is good. And for some reason, verticillium wilt does not like what we do to the soil. 
and it, it, it becomes apparent that the tree starts to uh, beef up certain aspects of, of what's left of the tree that's very good. So big leaves, shiny leaves, um, increased bud activity throughout the summer. You know, it, you can just tell it's very vigorous. And there's still areas of the tree that are giving up because the verticillium has already ruined those roots. And all you have to do is look above ground up in the air and you can see that whatever branches died above ground, we know that that root has given up below ground. However, if again, we can clean up that soil regularly by getting in there and, and pumping that root system full a couple times a summer, we keep the pathogen at bay, apparently. You know, I mean, all you have to do, the proof's in the pudding, the tree looks really good. Um, and eventually we get that tree to where there's no more death. It, it usually takes three or four seasons and we've, what we've got left is uh, the viable part of the tree, the healthy part of the tree, the strong part of the tree, and whatever roots gave up underground are no longer there. They're not operating. They're not, you know, that part of the tree has died. It has required trimming, of course, but we've saved the tree. We have not cured the verticillium wilt, so I'm not making that statement. What we have done is made the tree stronger against the verticillium wilt, which is a disease. It is a pathogen. So um, we're always very happy when we get in early and we can save, you know, a big, beautiful tree. Um, another disease, and I call it a disease because it starts out with a with a with a an insect problem uh, with birch, but the way birch are they they definitely get diseased from the insect and the insect i'm talking about is the bronze birch borer the birch borer is uh, an invasive insect that the birch has no defense system against on its own and these little bugs burrow in and they go to the softest tissue so they'll they'll actually clam around under that papery birch bark and end up at the new, newest tissue, because that's the softest, and that's where the eggs are, and then they hatch every year, and what it does is it creates, it's two things happening, the tree is trying to fight them off by compartmentalizing, shutting off a branch, but then that branch rots, so that creates an infected-like environment under the birch bark, and that moves downwards, Closer and closer and closer to the point where there's no longer any new branch or new bud activity taking place on this birch tree. And then you might as well cut the tree down. Um, lots of different methods and techniques over the years people have used. You know, you can be proactive with trimming. You cut off the branches that are infected and you go down below that into good tissue. And maybe you have cut out a bunch of the, the insect family that was in that tree. Um, another technique is injecting it with poison. Um, the, people inject insecticides right into these birch trees. And what it does is it systemically, it goes through the sap and it kills the bugs. But like I said earlier in the episode, you just damage the tree with poison. The tree can't process the poison. Especially birch trees are so bad because their bark is waterproof. It does not breathe like 
other deciduous trees or pine trees. That's why the Native Americans made canoes out of it because it's airtight, watertight, you know, so it's trapped. Those chemicals are trapped inside that birch tree and it destroys it over time. So you might get a quick response out of killing some of those birch borers and then trimming the bad out. But now you've, you know, you hurt the tree chemically. Uh, or people just, when they see birch borer, they cut the birch trees down because they're like, well, birch trees don't live much longer than 30, 40 years anyways. That's untrue. Um, we have clients that have birch trees that we estimate are well over 200 years old and they're just massive trees. So the birch have the potential of a long lifespan. So going back to treatment, Deblin, again, you don't treat the symptom, you treat the tree. You make that tree stronger so that the birch tree can fight off that insect on its own by having proper nutrition and stronger sap. So when we come into a property and there's a birch tree that's got bad tops, uh, or it's just starting to show the signs of birch borer in you know small amounts of dead, or we see that there is burrowing and lumps on the skin. Depending on how far away, how far gone the tree is, you're either gonna have to do a little bit of trimming or a lot of trimming, or you might lose most of the tree and all we've got is a little bit left. But if we've got a big root system to work with, you'd be surprised what a birch can kick out over time after we clean that tree up. Uh, but in any case, uh, we have a very successful uh, uh, track record with birch trees. We don't always win the battle with, with uh, you know, the disease that comes from bronze birch borer, but we've got a good track record with it, and a lot of customers feel that it's worth it to give it a try. And we are so excited when we can turn a birch tree around after it's had that rotten little insect in it. Thank you for listening to the Tree Doctors podcast. If you have a question for Caleb and need Devlin the Tree Doctor to consult with you on your trees or any of the problems you might have with them, please go to our website, DeblinTheTreeDoctor.com. That's D-E-B-L-E-N, the tree doctor.com or call 218-839-5319. We also accept text messages or you can email us through the website. Thanks again for listening.